Okay, we've been walking through the book of James, and we're at the end, actually, James chapter 5 today. So if you want to turn to James chapter 5, we're going to be starting in verse 13. And let's remember, today we're talking about prayer. Let's remember that James was a book written by a pastor. He was kind of a, a really influential pastor um, in Jerusalem, and sort of everybody kind of, he was kind of the pastor's pastor. If there was a guy everybody kind of looked to, it was James. And so James had a lot of authority, and he writes this letter, and he talks a whole lot about this is how Christian life looks. So if you're going to be a Christian in a world where not many people are Christians, and you have to understand, first century, there weren't many Christians. Today, we, we sort of take it for granted that we live in a you know, post, probably a post-Christian nation, but a lot of people are Christians around us. James and the first century Christians didn't have that advantage. And so he's talking about, hey, while everybody else lives a certain way, we're going to live a, a different way. And he talks about today prayer. And, and if you want to know about prayer, James is a great guy to talk to about that or at least learn from about that because he had a nickname, and his nickname was Camel Knees. And the reason he had that nickname was because he prayed so much on his knees that he developed calluses, and people knew him as a praying pastor. And so... If you want to know how to do something, it's great to talk to somebody that does it. Um, for example, recently, we have squirrel issues at my house. And, and if you look at these little guys, they're muscly. They're, they're like rodent superheroes. I mean, look at this guy. Uh, he's got muscles. He looks like he wants to take your face off. I mean, so uh, I have YouTubed how to, get, uh, how to get squirrels out of your bird feeders, um, how to get squirrels out of your attic, how to get squirrels out of your garden. Uh, I have YouTubed our squirrels demonic, and evidently they are. And so, uh, uh, so if you want to know something, you ask somebody that knows more than you do. So we're going to talk about prayer today. And James will discuss when to pray and then who can pray. And by the way, I'll, I'll give you the uh, spoiler alert. Uh, anybody can pray. Um, he talks about, I mean, anybody can pray, everybody can pray. So there, there's this notion sometimes that, well, I can't pray because I'm not good enough to pray. Everybody can pray. Everybody prays, actually. I mean, if you think about it, if you get in enough trouble, I, I, I think there are, what's that old expression, there are no atheists in foxholes? I think if the situation's bad enough, most people at least uh, find some sort of comfort in prayer. And, and then we're going to look at how to do it. So, you know, why or when, when we pray who can pray, and, and then how do we pray. And so let's just sort of start with verse 13. And he says, uh, I pray when I'm hurting emotionally. If anyone among you in trouble, and, and he should pray. Uh, the, the idea is that there's an outside stressor causing, an, um, uh, outside stressor causing uh, distress in my life. So it could be my finances are jacked up and, and therefore I'm stressed out. That, that's the kind of thing he's talking about. Is anyone in that kind of trouble? Are you in financial trouble? Are you in relationship trouble? Is there somebody at work that's causing you um, uh, difficulty? Well, then that's an opportunity to pray. And so he's saying, hey, listen, uh, when, when things are kind of going bad, that's the time to pray. And, and David says, this is throughout Scripture. David says, in my distress... I call upon the Lord. And so we kind of all know this, but James wants to make sure, listen, if things are going bad in your life, then you pray. And then right after that, he says, um, oh, by the way, uh, when you're under stress, you have a couple of alternatives. You can either swear or pray. And he says, if anyone happy, let him sing songs. So 
if you're distressed, you pray. If you're happy, you praise. This is kind of the rhythm of life. And I don't know about you, but man, if I'm in a good mood, I like to sing. And I listen to, like, if I don't listen to talk radio, I'm listening to the oldies channel because the new music just is horrible. And so I listen to the good stuff. And, and I'll put it on, is it Earth FM? Is that something? I'm advertising for them, but, oh, well, thank you. Thank you, Carl. Uh, yes. All right, so I'll turn it on there, and sometimes they have some of that chumpy, horrible stuff, but every once in a while, they'll hit one that you just really like. Does anybody else like this? I, like, if they, if they hit my song, or my jam, you know what I'm saying? Uh, if they hit my jam, I crank it. Does anybody crank? I crank I don't care who's around. I don't care if you're, in, uh, if you're a church member, you look at me and I'm singing. It's because I found something I really like. Now, does anybody got a favorite that you do that with? Anybody? Get, just shout out. Yes. Which one? What, what is the song? That's the, anybody have a song you really like? Anything Tom Petty. Okay. What? Come on. Come on. Help me. Fill me up, Buttercup. I'm going to give that a hard no. Uh, sorry. No. I'm talking about a song you cannot help but sing loud. I'll give you the perfect example. You all are struggling. Um, there was a song, Tears for, Tears for Fears, Shout. I mean, how do you not sing that loud? It's Shout. I mean, that's the name of the song. So that comes on. I'm driving down the road. I'm driving down Wade Hampton. That comes on. Not only am I going to jam, I'm rolling the windows down, and I want people to share and enjoy. Uh, and so that's what he's talking about. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. So we talked about this last week, and it's interesting to me. This is a, a principle in life that really helps us when we understand it. There's a seasonality of life. Sometimes you're up and sometimes you're down. And it says here, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. And he goes on to say, Solomon goes on to say, there's a time to be born and a time to die. And there's a time to, uh, you know, to pick up stones and a time to scatter stones. And what he's saying is, just like James says, when you're down, you pray. When you're up, you praise. They're both sort of forms of prayer. But there's this seasonality of life. And so people, I mean, I had people ask me today, How, how's your family? Well, all of my family is good. All the girls are doing good. Everybody's got a job, except Elise. We're trying to get her employed. Uh, she's 12, but really, seriously, why not go to work? Um, we, we've got good things going on, right? Everybody's healthy, and, and everybody's okay. And, and I, know, I understand. I absolutely understand that could change. I could get a phone call while I'm preaching, right? I, I could go. There might be a message on my phone right now that something bad happens. I get that. But right now, the season for us we're in, a, we're in a praise season. Uh, there are times when we're in a, a prayer season. And, and so it just depends on what season you're in. And, and so uh, who can pray? Well, well, number one, when you're hurting emotionally, you pray. Number two, you pray when you're hurting physically. We're going to stay on this one for just a little bit. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And, and so there's this... Um, when it talks about here... Is anyone sick? He's talking about really sick. This isn't, I have post-nasal drip and an ingrown toenail sick. This is, and I know those things are bad. I, I mean, if you got that, sorry. Um, this isn't that kind of sickness. This is, I'm sick, sort of unto death kind of sick. I'm, 
Uh, when, when Lazarus, when it talked about Lazarus is sick, that's the word they used. And, you know, Lazarus eventually died. So, that, I mean, that was really sick. Dorcas, same word, and he really was sick. So, this is really, really sick. And the Bible talks about there's kind of, I don't know if they're different levels, but they're different kinds of sickness. So, we have to understand this. This is really important. So, l- let me show you a couple things. There's a certain kind of sickness unto death. And let me set this up. Before we read the text, let me set it up. David was king of Israel. Uh, David had had a tough kind of tough go of it. Um, he, um, uh, he, the king of Israel didn't really like David, and so they tried to kill him. But then David eventually gets to the throne, and he's having great success. And there's one season where he should have been out at war with his fellow guys, his fellow warriors, and rather he stays back, and he's on the roof of the palace, and he looks down from the roof of the palace, and he sees a beautiful woman, and he has an affair with her. It's a married woman. David's a married man. And he has an affair, and this woman, uh, Bathsheba, becomes pregnant. And it's scandalous and horrible, and David kind of thinks nobody knows, but people know. And rather than confessing his sin, he makes it worse by calling Bathsheba's husband in from war. He tries to get Bathsheba and her husband Uriah to sleep together, and they won't do it, and so... Plan B for David was, well, then I'm going to send Uriah back and I'm going to put him at the worst fighting and Uriah is killed. So David commits adultery and then kind of puts a hit out on Uriah, the husband of the woman he had an affair with. I mean, it's it's scandalous. (laughs) This would be, it's scandalous. It would make, um, make soap operas. It's kind of like a soap opera script. And so... This child that Bathsheba has, um, God informs David that this child is going to die. And so David does what we would do if one of our children was ill. And we read it here. David pleaded with God. I mean, understand the word, pleaded. This is, my heart is broken in two. That's, that, this is, I'm weeping um, David pleads with God for the child. He fasted and spent nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. And the posture of humility and submission, you would lay face on the ground and, and you, you would pray. And this is what he was praying to God, pleading for the life of this child. And the elders of the household stood beside him. And what that means is there were some religious and, and political leaders who came into the room while David is laying on his face before God, pleading for this child's life. And they're there, and they're spiritual, and, and they represent sort of the, the, the spiritual leadership of the kingdom. And, and they're all kind of joining David in prayer. David isn't doing this by himself. And on the seventh day, the child died. David did, in fact, David did what James says you're to do if you're sick. He called the elders together and he prayed. He laid face on the ground before God. He pleaded before God. Sometimes there's a sickness unto death. And God doesn't want any of us to live in this world infinitely. If he did, there would be people here that were 2,000 years old. If everybody was always healed, if every Christian was healed every time they prayed, there would be really, really old Christians. There would be 2,000-year-old Christians, but... 
It doesn't work that way. See, the mortality rate remains 100%. Nobody gets off the planet alive. So there is a sickness unto death. Not all sickness is like that. There is some sickness like that. There's a sickness as discipline. In 1 Corinthians 11, they were taking the Lord's Supper inappropriately in Corinth. And so uh, Paul writes to them and says, some of y'all are sick. It says that. It's exactly Some y'all are sick because you're taking the Lord's Supper improperly. So... He basically says, stop that. Uh, one, of the great, one of the great rules in life is if you're doing something wrong, uh, here's what you should do. Stop it. Uh, so that's what he says. Stop it. There's a sickness for God's glory. Now, this is one of the most callous things that you read in Scripture. This is really kind of rude, frankly. You talk about awkward, this is awkward. Because there's a guy born blind. So if you're born blind, you can't. in that era, that day, you couldn't work. So he, be, he was begging. Like you see those guys at... At Walmart with a sign, you know, we'll work for food. Well, this guy couldn't even say that. His sign would have said, born blind, need help. And he was sitting there with his sign begging for alms. And it says that Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples, they're all walking together kind of in a group. His disciples say to him, in front of the dude with the sign, Hey, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Is that, the, is that the rudest thing you've ever heard? I mean, right here, good grief. Be, be Baptist about it and whisper. I mean, it's just horrible, right? It's just horrible. That's funny. I don't care who you are. Anyway, and Jesus says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in him, and Jesus heals him. Sometimes there's sickness unto death. Sometimes there's sickness for discipline. In this case, there was sickness for God's glory. And God had planned to heal him. There's sickness that's due to consequences. Um, you see, it's called sowing and reaping. And, and so if, if I drink alcohol and if I'm an alcoholic for 20 years and I get cirrhosis of the liver, which is something that happens because you, you consume large quantities of alcohol... That's, that's called sowing and reaping. There's a consequence for my action. In this case, as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Sometimes you simply get what you ask for. You have a lifestyle, and it leads to consequences. It's like those guys that run with the bulls in Spain. You run with the bulls, you get the horn, man. I mean, that's kind of how it works. And by the way, if you wear that outfit, you deserve it. Uh, just, my, just my personal thing. Okay, so there's healing unto death. There's, I'm sorry, there's sickness unto death. There's sickness as a consequence sometimes. There's sickness for God's glory. There's sickness for discipline. Now, there's different ways to look at healing. There are the sensationalists. These are the guys. We, you've probably seen these videos of these guys on television. They're faith healers, and they have a big tent, and they have a big show, and, and they call people forward, you know, and they always, it seems like they always have a white suit, right, and white patent leather shoes, and you'll come up on stage, and they'll pop you on the forehead and say, be healed. They always say it just like that. Be healed. And you are supposed to fall back. Brother hits me in the head, I am going to Jason Bourne to snot out of him. I just want you to know that. There happens for me. Um, I might be healed, but that brother going down. Anyway, anyway, there's this emotionally charged atmosphere. And stuff happens, you know. Who knows? Just because a miracle happens doesn't mean it's from God, by the way. 
uh, if you recall, Moses threw down his staff and it became a snake, and Pharaoh's uh, magicians did the same thing. Sometimes, it, I think a lot of that is just emotionally charged. It's just, it just, I don't know if it's fake or, I don't know. All I know is this. When I look at Jesus and his healing ministry, he never did it that way. He never set up a big tent. He never called people in to say, hey, 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 I'm about to heal somebody. You should come watch this. Jesus always, always healed sort of in the moment. He, he didn't particularly go looking for it. There was a time where the guys dropped the fellow through the roof, lowered, he didn't drop him, lowered the fellow down through the roof, and Jesus healed him in front of a crowd. But most of the time when you see healings, most of that is in front of his disciples or kind of alone. How many times do you see that Jesus says, don't tell anybody? He heals somebody, and then he says, don't tell anybody. It's like It's the exact opposite of, hey, let's have a big show for this. Don't tell anybody is the exact opposite of that. You have to be cautious here. This sensationalists want to make a big, big deal about this. Then there are others. I call them certainists. This is the name it and claim it group. They're the ones who say it's always God's will for you to be healed. And if you're not healed, then it's because you don't have enough faith. It's sort of the Harry Potterization of Jesus. Jesus now works for me. And if I ask it in the right way, then Jesus has to give it to me. The problem is it just doesn't work that way in Scripture. If there was ever a guy who should get anything he asked for in prayer, it would be Paul. Paul earned the right to ask for anything he wanted from Jesus and get it, in my humble opinion. He's done more than most of us ever even think about. You read a list of the things that he went through. He was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was thrown into prison... I mean, this, just because he loved Jesus. All these things are because he loved Jesus. He suffered for Christ. So if, if that guy prayed for you, you'd think you're going to get healed. Except, over and over in Scripture, he, there are instances where he had people near him who weren't healed. There's a guy named Epaphroditus. You read about him in uh, Philippians. And he wasn't healed, even though he was an associate, close associate, by the way, of Paul's. Timothy. Uh, Paul could have healed Timothy, I guess, except it wasn't in the Lord's will. And so Paul advised Timothy, hey, take some, uh, some wine for your stomach's sake. Hey, take some medicine so you can feel better. There's a guy, another guy named um, Trophimus. Uh, that's found in 2 Timothy. And Paul says, um, I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. I left him there sick. And then Paul even talks about this, about himself. Look at what he says. In order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Time out just a second. Nobody exactly knows what that is, this thorn in the flesh. Uh, there's speculation, perhaps it's his eyesight, because in one, one of the, or two of the letters he writes at the end, typically if you're going to write one of these letters, uh, like uh, you know Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, if you write a letter, there would be the guy who was dictating the letter, and there would be a guy who was taking, taking notes, right? So at the end of the letters... Paul would sign them. And a couple of times he says, I, notice I write this with large letters. And from that, there's kind of, they take it kind of as a clue of, hey, maybe he couldn't see well. Um, some believe he suffered from headaches because he had suffered malaria a couple of times. I don't know why he isn't more specific other than this. This is kind of what I think. Yeah, I, it might not be right. It seems to me that Paul had a thorn in the flesh, and oftentimes we have a thorn in the flesh. And while it might not be the same thorn, it's the same principle. 
So he says, hey, I had this thorn in the flesh. Now notice the word here. Three times I what? what is, what's the word? Pleaded, right? Do you remember what David did when his son was ill? What did he do? He pleaded, right? Same word. This is heart-wrenching. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But the Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more uh, gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. There's a certain spiritual maturity that you come to where you say, Okay, I am going to plead. I'm going to ask God with all of my heart. But I'm going to accept the answer, whatever the answer is. I'm going to ask. Paul asked. But he didn't get what he wanted. If there was ever a guy you'd think that would get what he asked for, it would be Paul. Now, there's a reason. God was teaching him something. You, you might not know this, but I hit the gym quite often. I mean, look. I know. Now, there are guys that have more muscles. I've seen them, and they're kind of annoying. They're kind of muscly. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, if you've got the big, big knots on your arms that look grotesque, um, unlike these smooth arms. Um, see, I'm, I'm, I'm going for more of the cat quick, uh, but uh, some are, you know, muscly. It's okay. If you see a guy who has lots of muscles, there's one thing that you can be certain of. He has done resistance training. Just how you grow big muscles. So they, they put weights on a bar. <laughs> Stupid. And uh, they curl it, right? They curl it. And that builds the muscles. And they, they do this thing. That's, that builds these muscles. And I, I remember. Uh, and uh, so you, you do think. You, there's resistance training. And it builds your physical muscles. And I think Paul is saying here, listen, yes, I didn't get what I asked for, but God is building my spiritual muscles. And so when we don't get what we ask for, perhaps God has something better in mind. He wants to build us. He's building our character. He's building our spiritual muscles. See, here's what I don't, here's what I believe. When he says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, how can I ever boast in my weakness if I'm never weak? How can I know what it's like to be in a good season if I'm never in a bad season? If I never experience suffering, how am I going to know when I've been delivered from suffering? I love that text. I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. There are times when we just have to say, look... I can't do this by myself. I need the help of the Lord. So there are sensationalists, they make a big show. There are certainists that say you're always supposed to be healed. There are cessationists, they say that healing doesn't exist anymore. It used to, first century, it happened. We read it in Acts. Okay, good, that was great for them, good for them, not for us. 
But the Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we do see occasionally miracles still happen. I'm reading a book right now by a guy named Lee Strobel called The Case for Miracles. It's a good book. And in this book, he gives examples of people who are miraculously healed. I think it still happens, so I don't think that's the answer. What I believe is what I'm calling realism, or I'm a realist. And a realist simply says, I believe God still heals. I just don't think that God always heals. He, he, he does heal. He doesn't always heal. So when we get to this text, if anyone among you is sick, let them call the elders of the church and pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And look at verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And we sort of think, well, what does that mean? It's a great question. Anointing with oil is often, was often done in the first century. Like, um, if you'll recall, the Good Samaritan uh, was uh, anointed the man who had been uh, injured with oil. Um, but, but the big question is, is this a guarantee of healing? Now, they call the elders in, they call the spiritual people. This, is, this situation is this. I'm at the end of my rope and I don't know what else to do and I've been praying for myself but now I'm so weak I'm going to call in the big guns. I'm going to call in other people who are spiritual and I'm going to ask them to pray for me. Um, there was a, a pastor by the name of Bob Russell. He was at a huge church in Louisville. They, were, they ran 10, 12, 15,000 people, lots of people. And there was kind of this understanding if Bob Russell showed up at the, at the hospital to pray for you, you were really sick. You were, this was like last rites. You were really, really sick. He, he didn't come all the time because he just couldn't. That would have been all he ever did. And so there were lots of people in the hospital, and they had certain people on staff to go pray for folks. But if you were really sick, Bob Russell would show up. So this one time, Russell, I was talking to him, and he was telling me this story. He said, I went to the hospital to visit a guy who was terminally ill, and, and I, just, I went in to pray with him and pray with his family. And while I was there, I had heard somebody had called me. He said, they called me and told me that one of our, one of our elders was in the hospital. going to have gallbladder surgery, kind of a minor surgery. He said, so I walked down the hall and popped my head in. Now, everybody knows that Bob Russell only shows up when you're about to die, right? So he pops his head in. The elder looked at his wife and said, how sick am I? Uh, okay, so this is when you're really sick, we're going to call in the elders. So, so the, the question then is, when it says, um, when you pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, is that a guarantee of healing? Well, all right, Let, let's discuss it. If you see something, this is just general in life, if you see something that's too good to be true, what do you do? You investigate, right? You look at the big picture. You should put it in context. So uh, one time I was looking on Craigslist and the guy had a car for sale. And it was, it was a, a late model car and it was like $10,000 under book value. And man, I was all over it. I, I, was, I was sending him an email. I'm interested in your car. And he said, this is a real simple transaction. Send me the money and I'll ship you the car. Yeah, that, that's called uh, sucker. And... Um, so, so I, I wrote him back. I said, well, where's the car? I'd like to see it before you know, I send you money. And he said, I'm in Bozeman, Montana. So I wrote back, it's a coincidence. I'm going to be in Bozeman, Montana tomorrow. I mean, I was lying, but so was he. So I figured it was okay. 
I'm going to be in Bozeman. How about I come look at it while I'm there tomorrow? Never heard back from you. Because the, the offer was too, it was a scam, right? It was a scam. Now, I don't believe James is trying to scam us. So what do we do with that verse? Well, you look at the context. Remember? James is a, a book of five chapters, right? There's, it's a, a long letter. It's not that long. It's uh, two pages, three pages on my, in my Bible. When James wrote this, the people that read it initially would have read the whole thing. They would have read it as, as a whole. So does James talk about any of this sort of thing in the rest of the letter? Well, I'm glad you asked. Is this a guarantee of healing? Well, yes, if it's God's will, because just the chapter before he says, instead you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do in this and that. Remember he's talking about business, and he says, some of you are saying, I'm going to go do this and I'm going to do that. And then he says, but you should rather say, Lord willing, I'll do this or that. God will heal if it's his will. Earlier on in the letter, he says, if you're rightly motivated, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. What I liked about Paul when he said, I had this thorn in the flesh and I prayed for it to be healed, but God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Then Paul says, okay, I'm going to boast in my weakness. His motive was, I think, if, if, you were to, if I were to guess at Paul's motive for being healed, I think he would probably say, I could do better work if I could see better. I could do better work if I didn't have these headaches. And God was like, okay, my grace is sufficient. I, I don't want to heal you of this. And Paul was like, okay. So, Will God answer? Well, sure, if it's rightly motivated. If there's not a greater purpose in the pain. James says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance or spiritual muscles. Let me show you one more thing. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, takes his disciples apart from Judas, who's already gone. They go to the garden to pray, and this is the prayer that Jesus prayed. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. I think this is a great way to pray, by the way. Uh, Father, I, I, I've gotten a, um, a diagnosis that scares me to death. And I think you, you pray, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Please take this away from me. Jesus was saying, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Jesus was playing the movie forward. Look, this is the garden. This is the night he prays where he, he prays so hard, so fervently that it's, his sweat are like drops of blood. I mean, he is praying fervently. And he's, he's playing the movie forward. I'm not only, he's thinking, I'm not only going to be betrayed... I'm going to be falsely accused. I'm going to be falsely convicted. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be spat upon. I'm, I'm going to be ridiculed. I'm going to be humiliated. I'm going to be crucified unto death. I'm going to be separated from God. And who knows, I, I don't even know what that means. I can't even explain that when it says that God turned his face away. What does that even mean? 
Jesus is, he understands this. Everything is possible for you. Please. Sounds like a plead, doesn't it? Like James pled and like, um, like Paul pled, like David pleads. Please, take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. See, is James 5.15 a guarantee of healing where it says the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well? The prayer in faith means that I believe that God knows what's best. Yes, I'm going to pray in faith. And, and I'm going to, to trust that God doesn't always answer the, pray the prayer the way I want Him to, but God always uh, answers the prayer the way that's best. Because here's the truth. The union of my will and God's will is the perfect way to pray. That's what Jesus prayed. That's what Paul prayed. It's possible for you. So how David prayed. I think David on his face with the elders was saying, God, it is possible for you to change your mind about my son. It is possible. It is possible. But we pray and we humbly accept the Lord's will. We just, we, we just humbly accept the Lord's will. Because here's what I know. God always has your best interest at heart. God always has your best interest at heart. And that, that's not true across, across life. Have you ever taken your car in to get the oil change? You get the oil change and, and, and you're, you're, you're sitting in the waiting room and, they, and somebody comes out with a clipboard, right? The, the tech. And they'll say, Mr. Vett? We changed your oil, but we noticed you need new spark plugs and a new head gasket and you need a new headliner and you need new seats because those are jank and um, you need a new air filter. You always need a new air filter and you need new wiper blades and you're thinking to yourself, I'm not real sure that you're telling me the truth. You all think that because I'm skeptical. Like, well, okay, I'll look at it. <laughs> Because I don't trust they have my best interest at heart. You know whose best interest they have? Their best interest. I, I took my daughter's car in to get tires, and we got some tires. Because, I mean, they're like in their 20s. Aren't they supposed to buy them themselves? Evidently not. So anyway, uh, I, I, I took them in, bought some tires for my daughter, who's married. Uh, anyway, um, When does it end? Uh, anyway. Never. Uh, never. Thank you, Carl. That's the gift of encouragement. Right there. Okay, super. So the guy comes out and he says, well, you know, uh, you need a ball bearing change and a ball, everything that's a ball. Uh, ball joints, uh, bald head, everything. Uh, you got to have it all changed. And so I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll take it to my mechanic because I don't trust that they have my best interest at heart. But here's what I do trust. A God who would send his son to die on a cross for me has got my best interest at heart. He's proven it. When I look at the cross, it's the proof that God has my best interest at heart. That's the proof. It's the proof. I am so far behind. I mean, we've got like three minutes. All right, you ready? Buckle up. We've got to finish. Here we go. 
We also pray when we're hurting spiritually. And I like this verse. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. We need people in our lives that we can just be honest with. And that will be honest to, uh, with us. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should uh, bring that person back, turn that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from his error of his ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. It is really important that we have somebody in our life who will speak the truth to us. Who can pray? That's a great question. Anybody. I love this verse. Elijah was a person just like us. It, Elijah did some amazing things, but he's also got really scared one time when a, when a lady named Jezebel threatened him. I mean, he kind of has these ups and downs. He's a lot like us. If that guy can pray, anybody can pray. So how do you do it? Glad you asked. Four things real quick. Number one, you have to ask. You simply have to ask. Um, I like the way Jesus did it. Lord, Abba, Father, anything is possible. I'm going to ask this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask. Um, might not be your will, but I'm sure going to ask you. Paul wanted that thorn in the flesh to be healed. He asked. It, didn't, it wasn't given, but we can ask. So we ask. We have to check our motives because he said here, uh, don't ask, uh, you don't when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motive. So I've got to check my motives. Am I asking for the right reason? Because sometimes I don't ask for the right reason. I have to make sure my relationship is right with the Lord. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And then it says, if, if I had not confessed my sins, I have to be in a right relationship. Then the Lord would not have heard and listened. And finally, I ask in faith. He, when he asks, you must believe and not doubt. Max Lucado tells this story, sweet little story about his daughter, and her name was Andrea. She was little, about two, three years old, and she got a splinter in her finger. And <laughs> um, Max took her to the bathroom and set her up on the counter and got the tweezers out and the ointment and a Band-Aid. And the little girl looked at the tweezers and she said, Daddy, I just want the Band-Aid. <laughs> well, yeah, but sometimes we need the tweezers. Sometimes we have to have that little bit of pain to get us where we need to be. And sometimes we'll ask and God will say no. And sometimes we'll ask and God will say yes. When we were in Salt Lake City last year on our mission trip, my friend Jesse um, Godsey. Jesse, where are you? Jesse's right here. Yeah, Jesse's my good friend. Jesse and I went to the grocery store. You remember that, Jesse? Why don't you come up here? Because I need you up to, you, you are my good friend. And you, you look very dapper today. Are you playing on your phone? Come on, man. You checking scores? Come on up here. So we went to the grocery store. We had a list of stuff to get, didn't we? And we got our list of stuff. And then we were walking out. Do you remember this? We were walking out to check out. And we happened to pass the freezer aisle. Do you remember what you said? No, you said, I like ice cream. Yes, that's exactly what you said. And you know what? I like ice cream, too, so what did we do? We got ice cream, didn't we? Yeah, we got ice cream. That's right, because it made sense. It made sense to us. Sometimes we ask, and it makes sense, and we get the ice cream. Right, buddy? That's right. Jesse, my boy. All right, we're going to pray, all right? You want to go down? You want to stay up here with me? Stay up here with me. That's good. Sometimes we ask God and he gives us what we want and sometimes he has a better plan. And we just trust. It's called faith. I have faith that God knows what he's talking about. Lord, I thank you for this day and for the opportunity to learn. 
I thank you for my buddy Jesse and all he's teaching me about life. I thank you, Lord, for the book of James and how it's enlightened us on how to live in a world that doesn't always understand what we, what we're, what we are as, and who we are as Christians. Help us to live by the standard of Scripture and not the standard of the world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.